Well, good evening. My message tonight is entitled The Voice. And I know that's the name of a popular TV reality show that features aspiring singers, but that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, and I promise not to try and break out into song tonight, though I could. The Voice. This has to do with an Old Testament passage that's become a familiar part of the Christmas story, a Bible text that's been made uh, very popular, kind of being featured in such diverse formats as Handel's Messiah and the Broadway musical Godspell. It's a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Let's hear God's word. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This is the word of God. I've been having a hard time getting into the Christmas spirit this year. I guess I built up in my mind that Christmas is always supposed to be this idyllic time of gingerbread houses and familiar family traditions and singing along with, you know, rocking around the Christmas tree. Like many of us who live in this part of New Jersey, I like the idea of small town innocence, of a suburban Eden where you can know and trust your neighbors, where families can raise their children with a sense of safety and security, where schools are places of learning, not places of lockdown. But this year there's a shadow over our Christmas celebrations. Reality is sort of intruded into that peaceful scene, and all of us grown-ups have been forced to admit that such a small-town utopia is really an illusion. And we knew that anyway, but we normally don't have to face it so bluntly. We all know that Behind expertly manicured lawns, there can be hidden heartache and heaviness, families and relationships that are in trouble, addictions and anger and even abuse. In the suburbs, we're just better at hiding it. Our problems usually don't go public, and I guess that's why I like that popular admonition that says, be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. This Christmas feels somewhat bittersweet to me. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that, you know, that's not such a bad thing. And in fact, that might be more in line with what the first Christmas was really like. We have this tendency to romanticize the birth of Jesus, to turn it into kind of a snow globe scene of sentimental Christmas specials with cuddly lambs and cherubic angels. But Jesus was born in a hard time, in a very hard place. The Jews were a conquered people. Israel was under military occupation. Roman soldiers patrolled the streets. Terrorists plotted in dark corners and collaborators betrayed their own. A puppet king named Herod enforced Rome's rules with a brutal efficiency. Public executions were commonplace and the road into Jerusalem was lined with crosses for miles and bodies hung on them for days at a time as a reminder of Rome's power. And there's a part of the Christmas story that we tend not to talk about. Remember the wise men, the magi, they first went to King Herod's palace in search of the babe who was to be born king of the Jews. And Herod didn't like that idea at all. An infant king 
He saw that as a direct threat to his power, a symbol that might rally the revolutionaries against him. And so he tried to trick the Magi into revealing the baby's location, but they really were wise men, and so they didn't fall for it. And we love the story of their visit to the infant Jesus and how they presented their expensive gifts to him. But the part we don't remember follows immediately on in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time, he learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Jesus' birth was followed by a horrible genocide that history has labeled the slaughter of the innocents. And that's the world of Jesus' birth. Herod's rage cast this pall of violence over the innocence of the manger. The first Christmas wasn't really all that idyllic, was it? Maybe for a moment, and then it was, Mary, pack your bags, we're getting out of town as fast as our donkey can carry us. And that's what, the, what Isaiah was talking about when he said, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The coming Lord was to come to a wilderness. A wilderness, the ancient people of Israel knew what the wilderness was. They were surrounded by it. Literally, it was the harsh, inhospitable desert that bordered their nation on two sides. As a people, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. A whole generation had died in the wilderness. That was their history. And so for them, the wilderness was this barren place, a place of danger, a place where real predators would eat you if you weren't careful, a place where you could die of thirst, of starvation, and so then metaphorically, The wilderness was the place of evil. The wilderness, when someone said in the wilderness, it was sort of like someone saying today, it's a jungle out there. It was a hostile place where God was not wanted or welcomed or recognized. And there was this inner wilderness, a life where it feels like you're in a spiritual wasteland, where where your soul is parched, where your emotional reserves are just running out, where you're wandering, where you feel lost and alone. Where life is difficult and demanding, that's the wilderness. And the voice says, that's the place where the Messiah is going to come. Not into some pristine world of of peace and safety. Not to some pampered palace or, or a spiritual spa. Not to perfect people, but into the wilderness, the messy world of human heartache. Into the world of sin. Into the world of pain. That's where the Messiah will come into the place of danger and violence and insanity. That's where the Messiah belongs. That's where the Lord is going to come and do his best work. It's where he changes human hearts through his work of forgiveness and grace. That's where people will find hope and healing and the strength and the wisdom to face their own wilderness. 
The Messiah does his best work in the worst circumstances because that's where we need him the most. We can't make sense out of this chaos of earthly life without realizing it is a wilderness of sin and rebellion against God. And we need God to intervene on our behalf. That's why Jesus is called a savior because we need saving. We can't do it on our own. Isaiah says this voice is crying out to us with this message of hope that God is breaking through into the wilderness. All four Gospels record that this prophecy was literally fulfilled through the preaching of John the Baptist, this this wild man prophet who lived in the desert, gathered a following by preaching about the coming of this Messiah. John was the voice. He was the one who said, get ready. This is it. He's coming. John was the one who first acknowledged Jesus to be God's Messiah, the Christ. But John, like all the prophets, just spoke the words that he had received from God. He didn't make up the message. Like all the prophets of the Old Testament, they just repeated the message. It was God's voice working through his intellect and through his spirit and through his heart. And so throughout the Bible, there is this constant theme of God's voice speaking. God communicating, God making himself known through his word. From the very first sentences of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, God's voice is active. Do you remember the words of Genesis 1-3? When God spoke creation into existence and God said, let there be light and there was light. God's voice spoke and it was done. How it was done, I can't tell you. But God spoke and that's all it took. And God kept on speaking. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to David. He spoke to Isaiah. He spoke to Mary. Sometimes audibly, sometimes through inner impressions of the Spirit, sometimes through angels, sometimes through other people, through nature, through their conscience, and through the written Word of God. God's voice was active in communicating His nature, His will, His purposes to people. And Christmas tells us That God spoke again, the writer of the book of Hebrews puts it this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir over all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That is the Christmas story. God has spoken to us by his son. The word made flesh, the word made human, and he lived among us. That's how the Gospel of John tells the Christmas story. So Jesus is God's voice incarnate in the flesh so that we can hear God's voice clearly. Who would ever thought that God's voice could be heard in a baby's cry? God's voice right in the middle of our wilderness God's voice that grew up and preached to crowds and comforted the lost and spoke words of healing. And from the cross, the voice that said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that voice is still speaking to you and to me today. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. The voice is telling us to get ready, to be prepared, because at some point God is going to say, enough is enough. I've offered grace, I've offered forgiveness, I've offered a new way to live, and mostly my voice 
is ignored. So enough is enough, and this wilderness will be no more. The valleys of suffering and grief will be filled. The mountain of sin will be flattened. The uneven ground of pain and injustice, it will be smoothed. The rugged roads of violence and death will get straightened out once for all. Chaos will be turned to cosmos. My Messiah will do that. He who came once as a lamb, the suffering servant who took away the sins of the world, he will also come again as the lion who will judge and who in power will make all things new. Now, I don't know when that's going to happen. What I do know is that our world needs to listen, that you and I need to be better listeners. God is speaking, but a lot of times we don't hear his voice. Back on January 12th in 2007, a man walked into the subway station and near the center of Washington, D.C., where thousands of federal employees pass every day. It was 7.51 a.m. He set a case down on the floor, and he opened the case, and he took out a violin. And during the next 43 minutes, he played six classical pieces. Three minutes went by before anybody noticed him. A minute later, a woman threw a dollar in the case. A few minutes after that, a man leaned against the wall and listened to him, but then checked his watch and had to walk on. Several children passed with their parents, and each time the children wanted to stay and listen, but the parents hurried them along. In the 43 minutes that he played, 1,097 people passed him by. 20 people gave him money. He collected $32. No one applauded when he finished playing. Only one person recognized him, a woman who said she had heard him play at the Met. His name was Joshua Bell, one of the greatest violinists in the world. And the violin that he played was a handcraft Stradivarius that was made in 1713. It was worth $3.5 million. And he played several of the most difficult pieces ever composed for the violin. Two nights before this impromptu concert in the subway, he played to a sold-out crowd in Boston's Symphony Hall where tickets went for over $100 a seat. The subway event was set up by a reporter by the Washington Post as a social experiment to show that in certain contexts, people are just too busy, too absorbed to appreciate the beauty of what they were hearing and the skill of who it was who was playing for them. And isn't it that way with us and God? His voice speaks to us in our hurriedness, in our noise, in our wilderness, a beautiful voice of peace that gets drowned out by our lifestyle that's just not conducive to hearing God's voice. His voice is calling to us every day, but we're distracted, we're busy, we're consumed with so many things. Are we willing to listen? Because God is speaking. Now, I've never heard audible words from God, but I know God has spoken to me. He speaks most clearly through his written word in the Bible, but he also speaks through that inner voice of the Holy Spirit, the way he gives direction and encouragement and affirmation and even warning. I believe God speaks to every one of his children and gives us the guidance and the inner transformation we need because hearing God's voice will change you. It's hard to hear God's voice when my own voice is too loud, when I'm doing all the talking and there are times, if I'm honest, where I don't really want to hear God's voice times when I willfully choose not to listen, or maybe I want to listen to the voices of someone else. And there are times when I don't recognize his voice because there's just too much noise in my life. Are you hearing God's voice to you this Christmas Eve? 
Can you hear God's voice in your wilderness? Can you hear God's voice above the noise and the confusion and the hurry of your day? Can you hear God's good news because it is the voice of your Savior? And this year, can you commit to spending time listening for his voice in your life every day? Every day to stop what you're doing and to let his peaceful, powerful voice fill your heart and soul and mind. To read his word and to let him speak to you through the truth of scripture. We'd love to help you with that. Maybe you're hearing his voice for the very first time. If you do, don't let that awareness slip away without responding. In the Psalms it says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. There's a window of opportunity when God breaks through for us to respond, sort of a calm in the eye, the center of the hurricane of life, where we can hear God's voice, and if we don't respond, then that window of opportunity closes as the world kind of rushes back in. And that's really what tonight is all about. It's our moment of calm in the eye of the storm. Hearing God's voice of grace and healing, calling to us in our wilderness and our hearts responding in gratitude as we recognize that it's the voice of our Savior's love. Won't you open your heart and your ears to him tonight? Even as we sing, in a moment we're going to sing Silent Night together, as we light candles, and in the peacefulness of that brief moment, just rest in the beauty of God's good news, that Christ is born, the Savior has come. God has spoken to us through his Son, and he desires to speak his voice of grace into every human heart, every single day. Amen.